Good evening, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in with us tonight here at Risen Church for our uh, Sunday night Bible study for May the 3rd. We're glad to be able to gather together um, around God's Word tonight. We had an awesome time this morning. Um, if you weren't able to be with us, you can catch the feed um, from earlier today. But uh, man, God's Spirit was here. Um, God is so good, and we are so blessed to, uh, to be in His presence and to be under His promises. Um, tonight, though, we're going to do something, uh, something different, um, something that we haven't done really ever as a church or under my ministry. We've talked about this sort of subject um, in bits and pieces throughout different other studies and, and different studies that we've done. Um, but over the next several weeks, where it looks like we're still in this sort of shutdown mode, um, and, and, and kind of partially able to gather mode, um, we are going to uh, use these Sunday evening services for um, a very special uh, cause, a very special purpose, um, and that is to talk about the subject of Bible prophecy. Um, I, I feel like in today's world, in today's climate, there's a lot of stuff being um, put out there, a lot of people, um, you know, commenting and, 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 and theorizing and speculating and uh, using the scriptures to push a certain agenda. Um, and I feel like it's just a good time to open the Word of God and see what God has to say um, about, uh, about our world and, and what He has to say about um, our future, um, and if He has something to say about our future. And I don't, I don't know about you, but uh, growing up in church, there was always one subject that would get people interested, engaged more than any other or more than most. And that was the subject of Bible prophecy. And, and if you grew up in the circles that I grew up in, in similar evangelical Baptist circles, especially during the 90s, early 2000s, when it was just really um, just Bible prophecy was just the thing to talk about, right? Movies and books and um, all sorts of seminars, you know, that was just the thing, right? It had been building up in the late 90s or the late 80s and 90s and maybe because of the millennium right and the aura of the 2000 right got everybody kind of talking about it um and uh if you grew up in those circles um when you heard bible prophecy you immediately heard thought of one thing or it was code for one thing um and that was the end times or the last days right um now some of you you may dismiss that the bible has anything to say um prophetically um about about our world um you may think you know what I'll take the Bible as a religious text. You know, yes, there's some um, things we should do. There's some truths we can apply. There's the story of Jesus, and, and, and even if you believe it's history and it's true, um, maybe you push back, and maybe you come up. You came from denominations that really just didn't talk about it and, and, and really kind of frowned upon the subject. And, and maybe that was a backlash um, towards some of us that talked about it so much, right? Um, but if you grew up dismissing that the Bible had any sort of prophetic word in it, um, that anything written by someone long ago could have a bearing on the future, I, I get that. Um, but the Bible um, and Bible prophecy isn't just about the end times. It isn't just concerning the last days. There are plenty of prophecies in the Bible that were fulfilled within the biblical times, right? Things that were predicted in one book that were realized in another. Um, and uh, the Bible is full of prophecies, most of which are fulfilled as in they already happened. Um, and, I, and I mean, as in they happened thousands of years ago, and, and, and scholars will debate and question uh, whether each predictive text was truly written before the events they predicted um, actually happened. Uh, of course, we believe the Bible was inspired, um, and it, it is inspired, and, and the writers were indeed inspired by God and were given prophecies, right, that they were able to see the future. Um, in Genesis 15, for instance, um, Abraham is, seen, is given a vision of his descendants being slaves in a foreign nation, and 
and then coming out of slavery um, after 400 years. Uh, of course, that uh, was fulfilled through the story of Exodus, the, the slavery under Egypt and the, in the, the redemption through Moses. In the book of Deuteronomy, we hear God warn Moses of Israel's um, return to slavery and bondage one day. And of course, that would be fulfilled during the Babylonian captivity hundreds of years uh, later. Um, all throughout the Old Testament, we find prophecies about um, a Messiah that's going to come and redeem creation that had fallen, uh, whether it was to Abraham in Genesis 12 that he would bring a descendant that would bless all the world, uh, to Moses in Deuteronomy 18 that a greater deliverer would rise up one day, to David in 2 Samuel 7 that his lineage and his house would last forever, that God would bring a king through him that would save the world. Um, of course, we know Isaiah chapter 9, Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 14, the promise of Emmanuel, the promise of a son from God who's, uh, who would build a kingdom and a government that would last forever. Um, we find prophecies about Israel's captivity, of, again, to Babylon, their return to the land under Persia. Uh, Cyrus the Great's name is mentioned hundreds of years before he would have even lived, um, which is amazing, right? Um, history suggests that Daniel would have shown the text to Cyrus, where Isaiah had wrote about him years before. Um, we find prophecies in the Old and New Testament about Israel's destruction by Rome and, and, and even a prophecy of a future restoration. Um, so there's a lot in the Bible, um, a lot of prophecy recorded that has already happened and, and, and maybe still yet to come. So maybe we should reconsider taking this subject seriously. I think we should, um, especially if it has any bearing on our lives and on our worlds. Now, the reality is we may live our lives without having anything been predicted in the Bible uh, take place in our lifetimes. Um, in fact, most people who've ever lived, most people that will ever live, um, had a beginning and have an end, right? Most people in history, even today, right? It's true. We begin and we end. And most of the people that have ever lived um, have begun and ended without any observation or awareness of what God was up to prophetically or what God may have predicted and may have taken place or what the scripture may have predicted and may have taken place. But here's even more of a reason why we should pay attention uh, to it, because the subject of Bible prophecy deals with eternity. It's not just about, hey, this is going to happen in a certain year, and is it predicted, and can you hold it sideways and get the date? That's not what this is about. Uh, the subject of Bible prophecy ultimately deals with eternity, and we believe, we believe that we're all going to live forever somewhere, right? That we have an eternity before us. We are going to live somewhere and we're going to have eternal life. So if there's something we can know about our futures, whether we experience when we die or whether there's a literal world's end that some generation will experience and that we all can prepare for and anticipate, the good news is that we don't have to open up to some dense Old Testament oracle to get started on this passage or on this subject. We don't have to open up to Isaiah or Jeremiah or Ezekiel and dive into the weeds, into the deep end, and talk about prophecy. Uh, actually, we can open up to the Gospels, the Gospels that you've read hundreds of times, the Gospels that we hear preached every week. You can open up to the Gospels and talk about this subject and find so much about this subject because Jesus talked about this subject more than any other subject. Uh, Jesus was adamant that we're all headed somewhere, that we will arrive there one day, maybe sooner than we expect. Of course, Jesus predicted his own death, predicted his own resurrection. So when somebody can call their own resurrection, right? When someone can say, hey, I'm going to die this day and then come back a few, a few days later. When someone can call that, 
I don't care what else they have to say. I'm going to believe in it all. I'm going to sign up for it before I even know what else they say, right? If you can predict your own death, burial, and resurrection and it all come true, then hey, you have a pretty good track record and you're trustworthy, right? So Jesus is trustworthy. So if he talked about prophecy in the end times, then we ought to pay attention to it. And if he talked about our eternal destination, we ought to pay attention to it. And in this case, um, Jesus, of course, he talked so much about practical living and, and, and doing what God wants us to do, but he also taught about the future of our world, the future of our lives. And, and, and again, this is why I pay so much and I pay particular attention to this subject. So if you push back against the subject at first, I understand because people can go way past the scriptures and teach way beyond what the scriptures uh, uh, teach on this subject, but the subject is no less than the scriptures. Um, and we shouldn't ignore it. And God's people ought to be well-educated on this subject just so that we can understand that some of the stuff that comes our way um, and the YouTube videos that we watch and the articles that we share and, and the people that we are told to demonize or worry about or things that we're told to worry about that may not ever actually be a, a, an issue for us to even worry about, right? We ought to be able to say to someone who may be worried, hey, that's not even something we should worry about or hey, that, that's not going to happen like that or the Bible teaches this on that and not something else. So, God's people ought to be up um, well, well informed on this subject, and, and, and we ought to know how to address it. So, of course, Jesus gave so much attention to it, maybe because he knew it would be such a controversial, such a, um, you know, a conversation that would go in a lot of directions. So, um, that's the why to all of this. Um, why should you care about Bible prophecy? Because Jesus talks so much about it. Why should you care about the end times or the last days? Because Jesus talked so much about it. But I think what intrigues us most concerning this subject is two other things. How and when. As in, how will it impact me? How will it impact my life? How will it impact the world? And when is this going to happen? When is this going to take place? What are the signs that this is about to take place? So we have a question about how will it impact me and when will it take place? Now, Jesus spoke about both of these a lot, actually. Jesus told parable after parable about the end times, um, portraying it all as this culmination of history, the fulfillment of God's plans since the beginning of time. Jesus set it up as this big feast that God had been planning since the beginning of time. So Jesus doesn't, in the parables, he doesn't really address what's going on on earth, but he just dresses the destination. He dresses the end of the story, which is comforting to me because I'm glad I know, uh, I can know the end. I can know how it's going to all come together. And that gives me confidence. That gives me peace uh, that even if it seems like it's all falling apart, hey, we're headed somewhere. Our earth is spinning and moving. Our solar system is spinning and moving. Our universe right is moving right in a direction to the kingdom of God so we can take comfort that God has a plan and that our destiny our destination is with him and is in his kingdom it is in um, uh, an eternal state so God uh, Jesus in these parables portrays God as planning this big party and that's good, right? Who doesn't want to go to a, to a cool party planned by God? A big festival plans at the beginning of time. Um, now, the thing about parables is they just paint a picture. Um, they're not uh, literal representations, but they capture the idea and send a powerful message. 
So one parable that I want to read today is Matthew 22, verses 1 through 14. Um, This is called the parable of the wedding feast. Now, um, a wedding feast, of course, is the biggest of all festivals, right? And and, and that God is planning for his son, right? Or the the story goes that the master is planning for his son. So you can kind of put two and two together. But listen to this parable that Jesus tells. Jesus answered and spoke to them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son and sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding and they were not willing to come. Again, he sent out other servants saying, tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fatted cattle are killed and all things are ready. Everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. That's so powerful, isn't it? But but they made light of it. And they went their ways, one to his farm, another to his business, and the, rest, and the rest seized his servants, treated them spitefully, and killed them. So this kind of suggests history, um, that God sent out an invitation and people didn't respond to it as they should have. Um, people uh, uh, began to actually reject and, and, and make light of those that God sent. Now, this is obviously a picture of the, of the, of the time of Jesus, right? The, the, they rejected him and they had rejected prophets before him. Um, but he goes on. When the king heard about it, he was furious. He sent out his armies, destroyed those murderers, burned up their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding is ready, but those who are invited are not worthy. So it's like a transition between one audience to another, from one, uh, one invited group to another. Therefore, go to the highways, and as many as you find, invite to the wedding. So he sent them out beyond the city, beyond this original location. So those servants went out to the highways and gathered together all who they found, both bad and good. I'm glad it includes the bad part in there, right? Because we're all bad sometimes. All were invited, both bad and good. The wedding hall was filled with guests. So the wedding hall was the waiting room, right? Waiting for this banquet to start. But when the king came to see the guests, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. So he said, friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot and take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. So there's this culmination, this day and time when there are those who are ready and those who are not ready. And those who are not ready will face an eternal consequence. But the good news is, those who are, those who receive the invitation, even those that we would quantify as bad, Those who accept this invitation and those that enter into the wedding hall are clothed and are appointed to a place in this eternal feast. Jesus talked about this over and over in the next few chapters of Matthew. Uh, the last week that he was alive, he talked about this subject. He dealt with broad brushstrokes. He talked with abstract concepts about the kingdom of heaven. Um, he used this analogy of a wedding that was being planned, a feast that was being um, uh, put um, and, and, and gathered. Uh, people were being gathered to. He talked about the day of the Lord. Um, he speaks of a day where, he, where we, where all people will be held accountable, where all of our life is held up in light of God's will for us. Now, this is obviously true for every one of us if we pass away um, before all this takes place. But Jesus clearly spoke of a day when God's kingdom would be the only reality, where earth as we know it would come to an end, and that God's kingdom would be set up as the new um, reality. Uh, there would be eternal life, and there would be eternal judgment, just as the verse 
13 suggests. Now, over in Matthew 25, if you want to flip over there, Jesus, again, telling parable after parable after parable. Matthew 25, verse 31, Jesus tells this parable, and I'll just read the beginning and end of it. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory. And it talks about all of people being gathered together for a day of judgment or a day of looking back on all of history, looking back on this age that was in an eternal state beginning. Now, at the end of that parable, it says, um, Some will go away to everlasting punishment, but the righteous to everlasting life. Now, Jesus would tell these parables, and, and it would always prompt these questions. Jesus, will there be an end to life on earth as we know it? And the answer is yes. Yes, this age will end one day, and God will separate sin from his creation. Now, hear me clearly. Creation is in bondage right now because of the curse, the fall of Adam. Right now, God is inviting creatures to be redeemed so that the creature can be saved from the judgment to come on this creation. God is inviting us creatures to be saved and spared from the judgment that's going to come upon all of creation that is apart from Him, that is fallen. Creation will be judged and restored, and heaven and earth will be made one as God had originally intended it before the fall. So right now, creation is in bondage. God is calling creature to Him. And one day, God will restore creation. And we will all dwell and live heaven on earth in eternal, harmonized bliss. God's original intention. This age will end and God will separate sin from His creation. Sin will be judged forever. And His creation will be restored in full. And we, His creatures, we, His children, will live in His new kingdom. When Jesus was pressed for specifics on the when, he spoke of signs of the times. You've heard that phrase before. As in the end, as in this end, this culmination isn't something that we have to just stumble upon. Yes, we should always be ready, but eventually for some generation to come, there will be signs that will suggest that something's about to happen. Over in Matthew 16, Jesus told the Pharisees and Sadducees that was they were pressing him for signs. He said, or pressing him from signs from heaven. He says, um, in the morning, if, um, or he says, when it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather for the sky is red. In the morning, it will be foul weather today for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to discern the face of the sky, but cannot, can't you discern the signs of the times? So I think that question is true for us, that we are given an opportunity to, to see the signs of the times and, and, and ask the question, is God preparing something? Is God getting ready to do something incredible? And even if we don't see those signs, we still know from the scripture that yes, he is going to do something, that we are headed somewhere. Um, but I want you to turn with me uh, before we close over to Luke 21. Um, Luke 21, again, takes place the last week of Jesus' earthly life, earthly ministry. Um, but I want to turn over to Luke 21 for a conversation about the when. We've already talked about the why. Jesus talked about it. Jesus talked about eternity in, in, in the end times, so we should care about it. We talked about the how, as in how will it impact us. Well, how it impacts us is that's our destination, right? We're going to, be, um, we're going to reach it one day. And whether we are in Christ or not is going to determine our eternal state whether we are saved or whether we are lost, whether we are in heaven or whether we are in hell. That is how it will impact us. Now, whether we die before it happens or whether we live to the day that it comes or the day that this world comes to an end, right? We know how it's going to impact us. 
But I want to talk about the when, because again, for some generation to come, maybe ours, but maybe one to come, for some generation to come, things will begin to transpire that will suggest um, that the end of this age is drawing near. Now, in this passage in Luke 21, Jesus gives signs of the end, but his focus is around Israel. And I want to talk about that for a little bit. Um, he spoke of an approaching age that was a direct result of Israel's rejecting him as a Messiah. We kind of saw that in that one parable, right? He sent them, he sent his uh, servants to a certain group. They spitefully rejected him and, and, and used him and, and, and turned from him. So Jesus talks about an approaching age that is a direct result of Israel the nation, not, not all Jewish people, but Israel the nation, the nation that God started with Abraham, established with David, and, 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 and still was around in the days of Jesus. God's, uh, of Israel's rejecting him as Messiah, there was an approaching age as a direct result of Israel's rejection. But then he spoke of a far-off age where Israel would return to him, specifically where they re- would return to God around the notion that Jesus is, or Jesus was the Messiah they were looking for, and they began to acknowledge him as the Messiah that they always needed. Now, he doesn't give specifics, but here's what we can parse from Jesus' teachings. Maybe you wonder, you know, why the focus on Israel? Now, Israel, most, you know this if you're a student of the Scriptures, Israel had long been God's choice vehicle for interacting with the world, his center or the center of his earthly activity. But he suggests in this, this uh, sermon that Israel was going to be parked for a season. The nation, again, not the people, but the nation of Israel would be parked for a season. And one day, God would restart Israel's story. But for a season, it would be paused. Jesus explains and teases this all out in a sermon he gave on Tuesday of the last week of his earthly ministry. And Luke 21 verse 5 is how he begins this conversation. Then as some spoke of the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and donations, um, he said, these things which you see, the days will come in which no, not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now, that was very alarming. When they heard this, they immediately thought, well, I mean, the temple is forever. Israel is forever. Judaism is forever. This is where God dwells. This is what we're waiting for you to restore, Jesus. Jesus, if the temple were to suddenly go away, if this monument, this, 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 this uh, relic, this, this symbol of God's place on earth, if this was to suddenly go away, that would be apocalyptic. That would suggest something is happening or something is, you know, something that, that we, we, we've been expecting is starting. This is suggesting something big is about to happen. So they ask him, teacher, but when will these things be? What sign will, the, will there be when these things are about to take place? So they immediately, when they hear him talk about the temple being destroyed, they think, well, that if, that, if the temple is ever destroyed, it must be the end of the world. And Jesus doesn't outright say no to that, um, that, that notion. But he does use that notion to launch into a sermon about the end times and specifically how this event that was going to happen in Israel was really the beginning of the end. And he said, take heed that you are not deceived, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he, or I am the Messiah. And the time has drawn near, therefore do not go after them. But when you hear of wars and commotions, do not be terrified, for these things must come to pass, but the end will not come immediately. Now what is Jesus referring to in those few verses? He's referring to the destruction of Jerusalem and the destruction of Israel, the cessation of Israel as a nation. 
Um, and in 70 AD, that would take place. Just as he said, it would come to pass. Now, Jesus said this, of course, around 30 AD. It was written before 50 AD. And as he said, it would happen eerily so. Now, 70 AD was the culmination of the Jewish wars. The Jewish wars were a, a series of riots and revolts and, 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 and conflicts between Israel, um, Judea, and Rome. Um, and Rome had long persisted and, 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 and dealt with the Jewish problem. For a long time, Israel was allowed to kind of do what it wanted to do on its own because of Rome's respect for the ancient religion, respect for the ancient nation, respect for their history. But over time, especially after the, after the conflict around Jesus and all the uproar and all the unrest and so many people declaring themselves the Messiah before Jesus and after Jesus, especially after Jesus, many people would rise up and say, he was but I am, um, as Jesus said, would happen. There was a lot of just a lot of unrest. These movements got bigger and bigger, and finally, Rome sent in, sent in one of its legions under Vespasian. Um, under Vespasian, uh, he came in, and 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 Israel was just so uh, just um, overwhelmed, and 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 many were crucified up and down the road um, from Damascus to Jerusalem. Jews were crucified by the hundreds of thousands. Cities were were sacked, were razed. The nation was left devastated, and only Jerusalem remained as a stronghold against Rome's forces. Uh, the, the, the Jews were ready for battle, but all of a sudden Vespasian fl fled and, and, and departed. Um, history says that he went home to take the place of Nero because Nero committed suicide, and Vespasian was the next emperor in line. But they didn't know why he abandoned or why he fled the battle. They just took this as an act of God and peace resumed. Um, and and would-be messiahs rose up again and declared this the beginning of God's kingdom and began calling for revolutionists to rise up and help spread this new day. And, 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 and eventually they would conquer Rome and they would spread the kingdom of God all over the earth. Uh, and they, there, there was a festival around this time. Um, it was a festival season and the city became filled with hundreds of thousands, almost a million people uh, began to surround Jerusalem and it was beyond capacity. They were going to run out of supply, food supplies uh, very quickly if this was sustained. But this was only for just a week or so and, and, and they would go out and bring in more supplies. But Rome was watching and the new general Vespasian's son, Titus, he was sinister. He was so, um, so twisted in his uh, strategy. He saw the city getting fuller and fuller. He saw the city packed to a brim, and he saw his opportunity. So when they did not expect it, Rome came in under Titus, the, the legions of Rome surrounding the city um, and cut off the food supply, cut off the water, cut off their way to go in and to go out. And all those people were stuck there elbow to elbow, right? And, 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 and running out of supplies, running out of food, running out of resources and running out of patience with one another. And these revolutionists uh, declared this wasn't not anything to worry about. This was the opportunity to go to war, to take down Rome once and for all. This was God giving them uh, uh, the, the, the stage to perform this great and mighty act. This led to chaos as the legion under Titus rolled in and they began to kill and blood flew through, flowed through the streets. Um, the Jews turned on each other. Um, they would be, they begin to burn down shops and burn down um, many of, of the markets and, and, and fires spread through the city and literally the entire city and all the people, whether they were taken to slavery or killed, the entire city was on fire and all that stood was the temple on the mount in the center. 
Titus thought about abandoning the city and watching it burn and leaving the temple as some sort of relic, but Titus then thought otherwise. This temple and this religion and these people have been a thorn in our side for too long. Let's end it for good. So these strong 5,000 plus legion of men, they uh, tied, they, they begin to strap ropes to these stones that were considered unmovable and they begin to pull them off of the foundation as the fire began to melt the overlaid gold, they became loose and they literally began to hurl them off the mountain and they watched the temple begin to crumble, each stone removed just as Jesus said. In Judaism as they knew it, as the Bible prescribes it, came to an end. The nation of Israel came to an end. The Jewish people were scattered, just as Jesus predicted. Now Jesus in verse 10 and 11, he kind of pl- teases out history that would, play, that would come after this, uh, this monumental uh, uh, event. He says, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be great earthquakes in various places, famines, pestilences, or plagues, and there will be fearful sights and great signs from heaven. So Jesus says over the next however many years from this destruction of Israel, um, the nations or the Gentiles would rule and reign over the earth, and it would, be, it would result in chaos after chaos. One empire would rise and another would fall. One nation would rule and another would fall. Armies it would come to battle one another. There would be world wars. There would be chaos from end of the earth to end of the earth. Jesus charts out the rest of history. The point of this is the turmoil of this world would not cease until it was settled by God. In verse 12 through 19, he speaks of the Jewish believers being scattered abroad, helping to build up the church. He says, believe all these things They will lay their hands on you and persecute you, deliver you up to the synagogues and prisons. You will be brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. So as the Jews are hearing about their home being destroyed, as the Jews lose their epicenter, because Christianity, um, it it may have stood on its own two feet, but so much of it rested in the Old Testament. It rested on the pictures that, you know, the the Lamb of God, the temple, all the Jewish, um, you know, foundation. It was what gave the, 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 the Jewish believers their kind of sense of direction. And Jesus essentially is saying, hey, you're going to be cut off from that. And, and you're going to be persecuted for being associated not only with Israel, but with me. And of course, we know the story for the first 300 years. The church, especially the Jewish believers, were persecuted for their faith. But Jesus says, do not be dismayed. Do not worry, for this is going to turn out as an opportunity for testimony. Settle it in your hearts not to meditate beforehand on what you will answer. I will give you a mouth and a wisdom which all your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. You will be betrayed even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and they will, be, they will, they will put some of you to death. And he talks about the unrest, the tension between the Jews, um, those that believed and those that didn't believe. You'll be hated by all for my name's sake. Not a hair on your head shall be lost. Your patience uh, possesses or will, will, will keep or stay your soul. So uh, also he kind of paints a picture of the Jewish people as a whole as they would go forward through time, that there would be this tension between Israel and the rest of the world, especially in, in a post-Israel, you know, in, as Israel, the nation has been destroyed. Uh, for the next however many years, Israel and the Jews would be looked down upon. And of course, history shows that the Jews have been a persecuted people ever since. But, In verse 24, Jesus kind of sums all this up. And listen to what he says. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led led captive into all the nations, speaking to the Jewish people. 
Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. So again, he, he keeps going back to that 70 AD war in the, in the destruction of Jerusalem. But this is what really gets our attention. Until Jerusalem will be trampled by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. As in there will come a day when God would reestablish Israel as his chosen vessel and restart Israel's story and hit unpause on Israel's activity and his activity through Israel. Don't miss this. Verse 25. There will be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars and on the earth, distress of nations with perplexity and the sea and the waves roaring. So when the times are coming to an end, when God begins to restart his purpose with Israel, the nation, Jesus says there will be signs from heaven to earth. Men's heart will fail them from fear in the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. They will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and with great glory. And now when these things begin to happen, look up, lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. So something about the times of the Gentiles coming to an end, God restarting whatever that means, His purpose with Israel. All these signs begin to play out. The earth had became so sophisticated. The people became so independent the nations acting as if they run their own show, they rule by, with, with their own minds and their own power, that there isn't a God in heaven who controls everything. Does that not does that sound like a generation that we live in today? But Jesus says, when you see all these things begin to happen, know that the Son of Man is on His way. Redemption draws near. But again, the Israel factor is so important. Verse 29, he spoke to them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. Fig trees are a symbol of Israel. When they, had already, when they are already budding, you see and know for yourself that summer is now near. So you also, when you see these things happen, know that the kingdom of God is near. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. That when you see the fig tree bloom, again, does that have something to do with the times of the Gentiles being fulfilled? Jerusalem having been trampled by the Gentiles but no more? What does that mean? And I think it's so important for our generation. Whether this is imminent or not, we can't ignore this because of what happened in 1948 with the reestablishment of Israel as a sovereign nation. Jesus talked about this being the ultimate sign of the times, Israel reemerging in the story of this earth. And suddenly, we can't get away from this reality that Jesus foretold about, can we? Verse 34, he says, But take heed to yourself, lest you, your hearts be weighed down with carousing and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that the day come upon you unexpectedly, the day of the Lord, the end times. For it will come as a snare on all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass. As if there may be a way of escape, a way of rapture for God's people. More on that later. That will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. So what are we going to do with this? We must play, play close attention and seek more about it. And tonight we've just grazed the surface. How does this impact us? It's our destination. It's what all creation is headed towards. When will these things come to pass? Well, keep your eye on Israel. 
That's the thermometer by which we gauge the signs of the times. The tea leaves aren't a one-world government, globalism, Democrats versus Republicans, American at all. Not anything cable news or clickbait social media articles will dangle in front of you. It's all about Israel. How its story and the church's story dovetail together in the beginning of this age and at the end of this age. Now, of course, there's more, but we've run out of time for tonight. Next time, we'll talk about what's next on the wind timeline. Israel is back, but are the times of the Gentiles over? Are they fulfilled? How does the church play a role? What is the church's role? And, and what is our purpose through all of this? Why did God start the church? How do we fit in? Of course, we do fit in, but we'll have to wait until next time to see how. What matters for us until then is this. We know that God has a plan, a good plan. He is steering us towards an eternal destination. He started a work in redeeming all of creation way back. He started a nation through Abraham, and then through that nation he gave rise to a multinational church with which he would offer redemption to the whole world. But he will finish Abraham's story. He will keep all of his promises, including his to the church. He will keep his promises to us. We don't have to worry about every detail, even if we don't know it all. It doesn't mean that we won't end up where we need to be. It's not on us to be experts on this, but it is on us to trust the expert on this. We don't obsess over who has the right version or chart. This isn't about chart, it's about hearts. If our hearts are right, we won't obsess over the process, but we will be faithful to the mission, to tell the world about Jesus, his plans for us, his future for us all. We may not ever know the exact details, but we can rest knowing that God has it all figured out. So that's where we leave off, with this invitation to trust his plans, to trust God because it's his story. He'll finish what he started. Israel's story, the church's story, our story. Psalms 138 promises you this, if you're worried, if this worries you or causes you some anxious thoughts, the Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. God has a purpose for you. He will fulfill it. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands, and he will not forsake the work of his hands, including you. Don't worry, we're right where we need to be in him. We will not step into eternity having to worry about being empty or, being, or having missed out or being unfulfilled. Take it from Jesus. In John 14, verse 2, he says, In my Father's house are many mansions, are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? On that day, we will hear, everything is ready. Enter into the joys of the living, to a kingdom prepared for you. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that comforting? We're right where we need to be, headed to where we're going to spend eternity. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you so much for this promise. Thank you for helping us understand the why, the how, and a little bit of the wind. Lord, there's so much more to unpack, and Lord, by your grace and through your help, we'll get there. But even if we don't, we're going to get to you because you're bringing us in your direction. You're taking us in your direction. You're leading us and guiding us every step of the way. We're on a fast track to your kingdom. God, help us to pay attention to the sign to the times. Help us to pay attention to what you have said and what you have done and what you're going to do. In the meanwhile, Help us, as the scripture says, not to be uh, taken with all the cares of this world, 
because the day will come unexpectedly if we are distracted or otherwise focused. Help us to know that we can be ready, we can be prepared if we trust in the Son of Man who comes in the clouds of glory. Lord, we're so thankful to know Jesus and to be right where we need to be. Thank you. We ask all of this in his name. Amen. Thank you so much for tuning in tonight. May God comfort you and bless you with this word and this message. And can't wait to get to part two next Sunday. God bless you.